What's up? How are you guys doing today? Let's go, baby. Well, hey, um, I want to have you grab a Bible. Please open that up to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter one here this morning. My name is Corey. Nice to meet you. Um, if we haven't met yet, I'm, I'm one of your pastors on staff here, and I'm really excited to talk to you about a preeminent Christ coming from Colossians chapter one. So before we dive into that, though, I would love to ask you guys a question. Who in here in this room, by a show of hands, knows who this lady on the screen is? My girl, Joanna, baby. That's my homie, man. Um, who in here knows uh, where the title or what this picture is from? What book is this from? No one? No one knows? Cookbook. There we go. Beautiful. This is what made me love this woman exceptional cookbook. It is before and above any other cookbook out there. Debate me on it, you will lose. Her food is absolutely exceptional in this. Now, I haven't always enjoyed Joanna Gaines. Um, she has affected our bank account in many ways, um, okay? Uh, man, my wife loves her. In the Hertha Home section and Target, fellas, it's a trap. Don't go nowhere by it. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, right? But, but Joanna, uh, my heart softened for her the first time that I had something from this cookbook. My wife uh, made these enchiladas. And so I show up at home and I just like, you know, I see them. I'm like, man, that is a beautiful dish. So I just like black out and just start pounding it, man. I, I mean, I was, I was devouring this stuff. Uh, and then I asked her, hey, baby, where is this food from? And she pointed and it was this. And I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed. I was like, oh, and then something was going on in my chest. Or like this, this heart of stone was becoming soft. I was like, for this person, and then the cookies. Very, very rarely would you see um, a cookie that tastes as good as it looks. And hers look to par, and they taste like heaven. Uh, they are absolutely exceptional. And then the banana pudding, and bro, I don't even like that stuff like that. But hers, I can pound like three plates of it. Um, I mean, just everything that I've had from this cookbook to me has, has just proven to be good, and it is exceptional. It is before and above any other cookbook that I've made stuff from. This is the Michael Jordan, the goat of all cookbooks. Now, in more of a serious manner, what we are going to look at here this morning um, is a Christ, a Jesus, who is above and before all other things in existence. We are going to look um, at a beautiful Savior who is preeminent. And if you haven't caught on yet, the definition for preeminent, it'll be on the screen. It is simply surpassing all others and distinguished in some way. And Jesus is surpassing all other things in existence. All things are through him, for him, by him. And they are made for his glory. So the goal for us here this morning um, is to get our hearts to a place of worship by focusing in on the preeminence of Christ. And so we're just going to simply look um, at three things uh, that are facts about Jesus' preeminence, two really keying in on the person of him, um, one keying in on how we need to act in regards to him being a preeminent Christ. But what I would love to do um, is ask him for his help and ask him to guide us and open our hearts to receiving his word. So uh, please join me in prayer. And Father, God, I just thank you um, for how good you are. And I thank you that we can just come in here, Lord, unbothered and just talk about 
um, Jesus and talk about how he is above and before all things, how he is a supreme Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to just key in on the fact that we need to follow him all the way to the end. And so, Jesus, may you be with us as we can on your word. Be glorified this morning and be honored. Lord, we love you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, it'll be good for us to get some context into where we're heading in regards to the book of Colossians. So um, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae from a prison in Rome. And so Paul is writing this letter in joy uh, because he is able to focus on the preeminence of Jesus as he writes this letter. So the church um, in Colossae had some issues. Um, there were people coming to them telling them, hey, um, man, like take your focus off of Jesus and worship these Greek and Roman gods that we love. Now, if you want to, we'll add Jesus into the equation. Um, so a lot of people um, in Colossae saw it as uh, Greek God, Roman God, and then Jesus all the same. And then Paul is saying, no, sir. No, 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 no. He's saying uh, Greek and Roman gods aren't existent since Jesus is preeminent. And so he spends time writing this letter telling them, hey, put your focus back on Jesus. Key in on Jesus. Know who this Christ is. And then so we find ourselves here uh, in chapter 1 as we see a Paul who is in a nasty prison cell in Rome writing to the church in Colossae telling them, put your eyes on Jesus and key in on a preeminent Christ. So take a look at verse 15 with me. Colossians chapter 1, and it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I want to stop right there and key in on these first few verses. But I love verse 15. I think there's a lot of meat in there that can help us look and be satisfied at the goodness and the glory of Jesus. The first one is this phrase of how Christ is the image of the invisible God. So what's taking place here is this thing called hypostatic union. And all that simply is, is um, fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Why is that so important? Because we have to understand that we have a preeminent Christ who, was, who is divine nature, who is God, um, and then but also had flesh like we have flesh. He felt the same emotions that we feel. Um, um, he had the same temptations as he was tempted uh, in Matthew 4. Um, the same temptations that we fall to often. Um, he had the same emotions that we have, except he acted on them perfectly because he was fully divine. He was fully God. And so what a beautiful and supreme Jesus that we serve. And the beautiful thing is, is that he chose in his divine nature to put on this flesh, because we all know that this flesh is not very enjoyable, especially as I'm getting close to 30, my back's starting to hurt. My knees are cracking, right? My feet stink. I mean, it's just all downhill from here, right? I mean, but just like, man, but, but, but he chose to dwell among us and be with us to put on this flesh to ultimately get us to a place to where we can love him. And then I also love in verse 15 where it talks about how he is the firstborn of all creation. Let's not miss that. Just wrap your head around the idea that Jesus Christ 
was literally firstborn of all creation. Now, this isn't talking about him and Matthew being born in a manger. This is him being uh, the first being, top dog before anything. On the screen, you're going to see a picture um, of literally nothing. And just think about how Jesus Christ was before nothing. We can't comprehend that Jesus Christ had no beginning. He was simply there. Genesis 1, in, in, in the beginning, he was before Genesis 1. He was before the beginning, before space, matter, time. He was present. He was before the beginning of time and before all things. And then verse 16, again, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And we could even add from this text, and by him. So all the heavenly things, all the angels, uh, and the perfect California weather of heaven, right? It was all created through and for and by Jesus. The earthly things, all of Genesis 1 and 2, created through, for, by him. All the sun, moon, stars, all the animals, um, all the ants, uh, everything created through him and for him. All the invisible things, the subatomic particles, all of the atoms uh, that we don't see, the oxygen that we breathe was created for his glory. Through him and for him and by him. And then we look at verse 17. Now it talks about how he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So we have this God who was before everything. He is above everything, and he holds all things together. Um, I feel like that I've been using this illustration a lot lately when I've been preaching, uh, but I'm going to do, do it again, so just get over it. But just think about the idea of who and how big God is, and how as we sit here in our seats, very still, he is spinning this world around at a thousand miles per hour to make sure that all things are functionable. He's spinning it around at a thousand miles per hour while moving us around a flaming hot ball of fire called the sun at 18 miles a second. And yet we sit here very still, getting the perfect amount of gravitational pull, getting the perfect amount of heat, the perfect amount of air. Everything is perfect. He holds all things together. No other God's doing that. Nothing else is doing that. Jesus is doing that. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is a big God. And then take a look at verse 18 with me. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So there is nothing above him. Everything else is below. Church, hear me. There is nothing else to gain. There is nothing else to get. At the end, all we want is Jesus. And that is all you need. So the promotion, it's not better than Jesus. The relationship, the guy, the girl, not better than Jesus. The money, the material things, the sin that you love so much that is a secret to many that you have a hard time giving up, it's not better than Jesus. The perfect, likable, social media, cookie-cutter family, 
It's not better than Jesus. The money, it's not better than Jesus. Did I say the money? It's not better. Jesus is what we are after because he is before and he is above all things. Now I want to go into a time of just self-evaluation here. And, you know, and I've intentionally I've made this first part of this message uh, a little bit longer just to make sure that we can get an understanding and a grasp of how big and how beautiful Jesus is because that's all that really matters. Nothing else matters except for how vast and how awesome he is. And so I want to do some self-evaluation to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. But we have to ask ourselves this question, but is Jesus preeminent in our life? I think that's something that we really have to wrestle with. Satan does a great job at distracting us and blinding us with other things, other lowercase g gods. Is Jesus preeminent in our life? Is there something taking the supreme authority, um, taking the place of supreme authority in our life? Is it something that I just named? If so, we need to do something with that. And the dangerous thing about it um, is that we can go on doing the Campbell Soup, mm mm-mm good, pat here in church and feeling great about ourselves. And then yet knowing that our heart is corroding, knowing that Jesus isn't number one. And we continue to go on throughout this life living a lie. And you are not alone because I've been convicted of that too in moments. And we got to be careful. Is he preeminent in our life? Now, what I don't want us to do is to go off to lunch today at McAllister's or Zaxby's or something like that. And just talk about, man, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. And we don't do a dang thing to change it. Like, we need to be intentional about putting Jesus as number one. Period. Change it. And hear me say this. With the way that Satan is crafty and the way that he works, again, Matthew 4, Jesus had fasted for a very long time. And Jesus is perfect. And Satan had the nerve to come in and try to tempt him to fall in sin. He has confidence, bro. He has swag about him. The way that Satan operates, we have to be very intentional about ridding of the things that take our focus off of God. And hear me say this. I don't care what it is, things that you may love, things that you may cherish, get rid of it if it distracts you from putting your eyes on Jesus. If it's a relationship, get rid of it. If it's, and I know you're going to hate me for this, I know Black Friday was just two weeks ago, even if it's that TV you bought on Black Friday, get rid of it. If it's keeping you, if it's your God, if it's keeping you from putting your eyes on Jesus, man, it's not worth it. Oh, it's not worth it. Jesus is beautiful, and he is preeminent. And he is what we need. My first point here this morning, so on the screen, and it is this. A preeminent Christ is before and above all things in existence. A preeminent Christ is before and above all things in existence. I have a really great friend um, who I think lives this out well. Um, I have a really great friend who um, I love dearly and who has literally put in Jesus 
over everything I believe in his life, um, even some big things like what I'm about to tell you. So his name is Chris Meads. I got to know him when I was in Dallas, Texas. He is a good, good friend of mine. I had the privilege to stand with him on his wedding day. I've, I, I had the privilege to to celebrate with him when he had his first kid. Um, this brother is exceptional and loves the Lord, but it wasn't always that way. Um, so he is by far probably top five drummers that I have ever heard live, which explains why he was a part of a rock band that was well-known, um, that was opening up for bands like Slipknot. I think that's a rock band. I don't know rock music very well. I grew up on gospel, R&B, and rap, so I don't know um, rock music too well. But like, but... So, but they began opening up for big time acts, and he was a driving force behind that. He was exceptional. Um, and then one day, so he grew up in a house of an evangelist. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home, but did not want to submit to Jesus until one day he was sitting at his computer, um, and he was on YouTube, um, and in his recommended videos popped up um, a video by John, P- John Piper called The Supremacy of Christ. And he sat there and he watched that 18 minute long video. And at that moment, life was changed. He became a Jesus lover. He became a Jesus follower. Um, and then also shortly after that moment, shortly after that moment, the Holy Spirit prompted on him, hey, um, I'm taking you to ministry. Uh, you need to get out of this band. And he knew that that was going to destroy them, that they were doing great things. Uh, they were uh, beginning to see money, beginning to see um, some great things happen. Uh, and he's like, but no, but you have to leave. And so Chris submitted to that. And as he sat across the table um, from his band and told them he will no longer be a part of their doings anymore, um, they all got up, left him. I haven't said a word to him since. But let me tell you something. Chris is thriving as a man of God loving a beautiful child well, a beautiful bride well. I'm shepherding uh, people in his church in Dallas, and he is killing it for the Lord. It's because he saw a preeminent Christ as before and above everything and wasn't caught up in the lie of Satan saying, you'll be more satisfied of getting your own fame and having your own pride felt. So a preeminent Christ is above and before everything. And is he preeminent in our lives? And you aren't losing anything, honestly, by leaving stuff and going to Jesus. We just have to get past the lie that we're actually going to be losing stuff. Jesus is so enjoyable, and he is the only source of joy that we need. Now, speaking of joy, it's waiting for us in a beautiful Savior that we'll get a chance to take a look at here uh, in verses 19 and 20. So let's turn our eyes there and move forward in this passage. So verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. So stopping in verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, this thing of hypostatic union, right? Fully God fully man. And God was pleased to dwell inside of Jesus. And what we got to know here is that um, God dwelling in Jesus is the beginning of a redemptive work to bring us 
me and you back into partnership with him. The fact that, that God left all of his heavenly perfection and put on this nasty, smelly skin that we have to come down here and dwell again, being tempted, having the same emotions, having the same feelings, but yet still being perfect, dwelling amongst us. And you know what? We hated that. So we killed him. We threw him on a cross and we nailed him there and he bled uh, to sacrifice for, uh, for us. And so he died, and then they put him in a tomb, bur- buried him away. Three days later, here he comes out. He conquered the grave. For what purpose? So that we as well could conquer the grave. And so he, performing the gospel for us, you know what? He was pleased to do that. That's what I love about verse 19, is that he was pleased to perform the gospel so that we could come back into a beautiful partnership with him. His love alone through this act makes him supreme. No other God will do that for you. They require for you to do stuff for them to be saved. Um, Jesus came and did stuff for us and served us to, for us to be saved. No other God's doing that for you, but he did that for us. And only a supreme being would be able to do this. Someone who understands all things and gets the purpose of all things. Speaking of somebody who was pleased uh, to show grace and love to someone, it makes me think about this awesome author by the name of Bob Goff. His picture is here on the screen. Um, I think he writes, everybody always and love does. Uh, So my wife and I, we attended a family ministry conference down in Atlanta, Georgia here this past spring, um, and we had the privilege of hearing Bob Goff speak. One, he is a very weird dude, bro. Um, He is is very strange, but he is awesome. Um, He loves people so well, Uh, and so he showed great love to his daughter. So uh, before his daughter was born, what he decided to do was, so he knew, as all parents know, um, he knew that this daughter was going to mess up to some capacity. And so he wrote a letter, he put it in a bottle, put a cork in it, um, and he dug a hole somewhere uh, where he lived um, and put it like six feet deep, covered it up, and then wrote down the coordinates. So Obviously, she was born and she turned 16. Like many 16-year-olds, uh, they receive these things that are very dangerous called license, uh, and they receive um, cars. Parents of 16-year-olds, Cox family, I'm praying for you. Lord, I'm praying for you. Um, Roscoe's, I'm praying for you. If you're all you teenage parents, I'm praying for you. So, I forgot what I was going with this. <laughs> Prayer is so important. Um, so, like, but yes, uh, so she got in a car wreck. And she is feeling so much guilt, so much shame, so much embarrassment. And she's afraid to go and approach her father, but she has to. And so she goes and she approaches him and is like, Dad, I wrecked your car. I'm so sorry. And Bob Goff, in his weirdness, but in his brilliance, he gives her a shovel and he gives her coordinates. And he says, go and dig. And so she goes um, and she finds the place. And it took her all day, but she's digging. And she's digging. And then she finally hears it. Ding. And she finds this bottle, this bottle, she pulls it out, pops the cork open, pulls the letter out, and it says, um, sweetie, I love you. Um, I have forgiven you since before you were born, um, and I am pleased to do this. This is the Savior that we have in Jesus, and only a supreme Savior would do that for us. He was pleased to lavish his forgiveness on us. He was pleased to perform the gospel for the purpose of what verse 20 says. Take a look at it with me. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So again, this thing called the gospel. Um, He wanted to reconcile us through his blood shed. So we are a forgiven people if we put our trust and our faith in this supreme savior called Jesus. So yes, um, it doesn't matter uh, if you looked at pornography last night. Jesus' bloodshed covers that if your faith and your trust are in him and see him as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter this morning if you were at Starbucks and you got mad because you were going to be late for service, so you give the person the unholy finger in front of you. Jesus' blood covers that. He has forgiven you for that, to reconcile himself to us, and he was pleased to do this. Now, also, as Paul talks about, let's not go on abusing the grace of God because then that could easily prove that we aren't followers to begin with. Um, May we take his grace and his love seriously, and may we work hard to not live a life of sin, but a life that proves that we are followers of Jesus. But we have a supreme Christ. We have a supreme Savior, which then brings me now to my second point, and that is this. A preeminent Christ is the only supreme Savior in the world. Again, a preeminent Christ is the only supreme Savior in the world, and he's pleased to do this. It makes me think about a story that a pastor tells. Um, His name is Miles McPherson. He's out in San Diego, California, and he tells a story about a father who worked at a drawbridge. Um, And and this guy, so he had the opportunity to bring his son to work with him one day, uh, and so he did just that. And so uh, his job was simply to raise the drawbridge when boats were coming through and to lower it so that cars could go through when the boats were passed through. And so, um, so he was doing that all day. Uh, and then towards the end of the day, um, he was raising this drawbridge for a party boat that was going by. Uh, and then he had noticed that his son wasn't with him, but yet he heard a scream off in the distance. And he had noticed um, that his son was caught up in the gears of the drawbridge. Uh, and so he had to make a decision um, to, to kill his one and only son um, or to allow for this party boat, which people were, were, were getting hammered, uh, littering in his lake. Uh, they were giving him the middle finger. They were saying all types of terrible things to him. And so he had to um, either figure out which sacrifice do I make? Do I make these people who clearly aren't saved Um, die so that I can save my son, or do I kill my son, who I know who will be in a better place, uh, and let these other people live? And so he sacrificed his one and only son to save these people, Um, and he was pleased to know that their souls were at rest and that, that, that they had an opportunity to come and know him. This is the supreme Savior that we serve. He was pleased to give himself up for us who um, aren't worthy. We are not worthy, and yet he was pleased to do that for us. We have a supreme Savior, and we need to worship him for all that he has done for us. Have a worshipful life, church, worshipful life because of the supreme Savior in whom we have. Now, as we look into the next couple of verses, we are going to see why sticking with our supreme Savior is of great importance. So let's take a look here at verse 21 as we close out this text. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what we see here in verses 21 and 22 is that um, we were all once evil, and then so Jesus came down to reconcile us to his body of flesh by his death, which allows us freedom to go uh, and be in his presence with complete joy. But a little shepherding moment for us. I want us to look at verse 21 and just understand the fact that um, we were all once evil. And I hope this leads us to worship well because we were all broken at one point and then Jesus. But something that, that we have to be aware of is that, is that there was no I have always been saved. When you're sitting down with a fellow Christian, um, and if you're saying that, you are not telling the truth. We were all once wicked and broken and sinful people, and Romans 3 would back me up on that. But we were all once evil. We were born in a sinful nature, and then Christ came in and changed us. How? Verse 22. How he has now reconciled us to his body of flesh by his death, so we get to go into his presence holy and blameless and above reproach. Jesus reconciled us when he didn't have to. He reconciled us to himself when he didn't have to. So for those of you who struggle with with that sexual sin addiction, man, rest easy. If your faith is in Jesus, he has reconciled you by the blood of his cross. And hear me say this too, people. You can overcome that addiction by the power of Jesus. The people who blame him for the things, you know, when things get tough, right, when things get tough, but we take credit for ourselves when things are going great, right? He has freed us from that, and we've been doing that since the beginning of time. We were the people who would cheat on him with other gods, and that's been taking the place of since the beginning of time. But he was super gracious to forgive us for all sin simply because He is a big and preeminent Christ. And he is also worth following to the end because our Christianity then proves true. And you will be able to have joy in this life and perfection in the next if we continue on in the faith. Continue, um, sorry, look, look at verse 23 with me. And it says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we see that we were once evil, and he has reconciled us to himself, and now he's telling us, like, hey, continue in the faith. So we here at Harvest, um, we believe uh, that you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, we believe that, that, that God is too strong um, and for us to be snatched out of his hand. Uh, we believe that you just weren't saved to begin with. And so Paul is writing, saying, like, hey, I understand that, that the temptations are strong, so prove to be true. It's like prove to be a true follower of Jesus. Continue in the faith. Because the true test, if you're a Christian or not, is if you stay true to Christ all the way to the end. I love Hebrews chapter 3. Really keying on verse 14, but we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. It'll be on the screen. It says, take care, brothers. 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Paul knew that the cares of the world would, would prove some to be untrue, that it would pull at the hearts of, pull at the hearts of, Christian, of Christians. But he knew that Jesus was so, so good. He was like, don't fall for it. Church, don't fall for it. Jesus is worth following to the end, which is our third point, and that is a preeminent Christ is worth following to the end. And this stood true back then, and it stands true today. A preeminent Christ is worth following to the end. So in verse 23, it also talks about at the end why Paul became a minister, and it was because of, of the preeminence of Jesus. But I think Paul's life is good proof to why we should um, stay with him to the end. The fact that this man was a Pharisee, and he was a top dog Pharisee, um, persecuting Christians, um, hated Christians. And then on the road to Damascus, life was radically changed as he was blinded and experienced the, the, the true God, the true Jesus for the first time. And then so after that moment, um, he devoted his life all to the service of Christ, all the way to the end, to where he was literally on a chopping block, about to have his head severed from his neck. And he did that with joy because he knew that Jesus was worth following all the way to the end because he is preeminent and he is supremely worthy. What I want to leave you with today uh, before we dive back into a time of worship um, is just this final main point. And it's, and it's more so um, a little bit more applicational for you. But Christ's preeminence leads us to worship it leads us to joy, and it leads us to truly following him. All the things that we talked about today. Why does it lead us to worship? Because he is above and he is before everything. It leads us to joy because he is a supreme savior. Nothing else will bring you joy. I mean, it may bring you happiness, and I will guarantee you, I don't guarantee many things in life, but I, would, I will guarantee you that that happiness will one day run dry. Jesus will bring you complete joy, a supreme Savior, and then truly following him because of the benefits to come in heaven, and he is the main benefit. So this week, just for you, I want to challenge you to this aspect of worship because we have a preeminent Christ. Make worship a daily part of your life. It just does something to the heart. Um, it just helps you see Jesus in a beautiful manner, and it helps you get your focus and your eyes on him. Um, make that a regular part of your quiet time, your abiding, whatever it may be. Find that time to spend with him in worship. And then also not just that, but in the way that you live, it should be a testimony of worship. Everything that you do in your life should be worshipful to Jesus. And that comes with a worshipful heart. So when you are loving your, your wife, loving your husband, loving your kids, 
man, may that be an act of worship, right? Not, not angry, not abusive. May it be true, may it be pure. As you witness to that coworker, may it be an aspect of love and may it be worshipful. The way you serve people, may that be worshipful. I hope the way that I'm sweating up here right now is worshipful. Man, it's hot, bro. It's hot. But may we worship the Lord with our lives all for his glory. And so we're going to practice that in song um, as we go back into the song, Worthy, Worthy. And may we worship him because he is a preeminent and a beautiful Savior, a preeminent Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll dive back into worship. And Father, God, you are so good. And Jesus, um, Lord, we just thank you that you are before and above all things. God, that you are a supreme Savior. And God, and just that, that you're worth following all the way to the end, no matter what takes place. Lord, if it means um, not having family, if it means, Lord, uh, us lo- losing our jobs, Lord, you are worth following all the way to the end. And so, God, may you just be glorified in our lives. May we have a worshipful life. And Jesus, may we be all about the person of you. So, Lord, we love you. Speak to us as we sing this song. And speak to us as we live our lives and key on a preeminent Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.